Welcome to Grace and Truth. Oh, actually, it's right there. Okay. So we're in our Bibles on John 1, 14 to 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Powerful passage on grace and truth. There's a lot here. Sets the base for the rest of John as Jesus uh, interacts with people always in grace and truth. Perfectly balanced and full at all times. That's the Savior. Verse 14, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, grace upon grace. And verse 17, what do you think it's talking about here when we're talking about grace and truth? What's verse 17? The law came through Moses. What's that? That's truth. That's the standard of God. Good. The law showed us the truth. The law is good. Romans makes that clear. The law is not bad. It makes us feel bad because we don't live up to it, nor can we. But there's the truth. In verse 18, no one has seen God, only Jesus. Well, that's truth because, you know what? We can't see God. The Bible's clear that if we see Him, we would be destroyed. What, gra what grace to come to us in the flesh. Just think how it starts out. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That there is a statement of grace. God, why would you come down here? When you're dealing with counselees and some hideous counseling situations with some people that have done some hideous sin and you start to feel like you're like a little bit better than them, I like to go to the gospel and go, me next to Jesus is way more different than me next to this pedophile that I'm trying to counsel. So, I love uh, when uh, Nank people say, when you're in the room with a sinner, you're more like the sinner than you are like your Savior. I love that saying. But God came into the world, there's the statement of grace. I mean, that is, why did he come here? To, to, to be, uh, every day to see sin, every day to be around sinners and to deal with sinners. So great passage uh, that we will refer back to on grace and truth. Number one, God's attributes of grace and truth. As Armin has stated, I don't know if he said it in this, I, I could be wrong, but God's attributes, his character qualities, it is who he is. It's what he's always been. I love telling the youth and telling myself over and over, God isn't making up these attributes. This flows from his character. This is who he is. He can't change it. This is who God is. He is truth. He is the God of grace and truth. In the Old Testament, full of grace, People who say the Old Testament is a God of wrath, they don't know the Bible. God is so patient and so graceful with the Israelites. What does he do when Adam and Eve fall into sin? The exact same day, I'm going to send someone to crush the serpent's head. Right in the beginning, grace. So don't tell me the Old Testament is not full of grace and truth. Full of caring for the helpless, giving to the unworthy, and being who he is. Holy and a righteous God. So... Just seeing the attributes of grace and truth flowing from who God is. 1 Peter uh, 5, 10, for the God of all grace. 
The context here is suffering. He's talking to the elders. Listen to it. 1 Peter 5.10 And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Notice the truth here. You're going to suffer. I'm not going to get away from that, God says. You're one of mine. They killed me. They're going to definitely kill you. They're going to hate you. They're going to insult you. So here's the truth. You're going to suffer, but here's the grace. The God of all grace will restore you. He himself will restore you, strengthen you, and confirm you. I'm thinking of the brother that I've been praying for. You've been praying for him, uh, Brother Asid, who is now uh, close to his deathbed in an Iranian prison because of preaching the gospel. Uh... Man, God's grace has got to be with him. He is suffering. They won't treat him. They beat him. They take him to the hospital and beat him some more and tell him a doctor will be there. The doctor says, I don't treat uh, infidels because he's a, a Muslim turned Christian. God says, I'll be there with you. You will suffer, but I will be there with you. If you read this verse, it's almost like the grace of God is more important than the suffering. The truth of you suffering isn't as important as God being with you in your suffering. Powerful to see the God of all grace. Our God is the God of all grace, not some grace, but all grace that ever existed is in Him. And you know Him. And He's given you this grace. It's yours. We'll see more of this. The God of all grace. B. The God always true. In John 3.33, the context here is about Jesus, and he also mentions the Trinity, the Spirit, and the Father. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. So whoever receives the testimony of Christ is saying God is true. And what's the first thing when we go to share the gospel? I don't know if that's true. I don't know if Jesus is the only way. I don't know if your Bible is really true. And of course the scriptures are self-authenticating and saying this is the God of all truth. Our God is always truth. Yes, there are a few things that God cannot do because it flows from his character and he cannot deny his character. What can he not do? Thank you. The opposite of truth. God cannot lie. Yes, people, there are things our God cannot do. Did you want to hear it? We're going to tell you. He can't go against who he is. He is the God of all truth, so he cannot lie. I love Romans 3, 4. When, I, when you get discouraged in the church, Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. So men are going to lie. We know that. We're sinners. But just remember, the God over the church that sometimes uh, uh, throws you off balance and brings you down because people are falling away and leaving the church and falling into sin. And you say, you know what? Every man's a liar. God is never a liar. He's always true. Romans 3, 4. So we have a God who is all true, not 80%, not 90%, but 100% true. And of course, all his words are true because he is true. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. Brothers and sisters, after 32 years of reading the scriptures, uh, more and more, I love a high view of scripture. That's why I love uh, biblical counseling. It lifts up the Bible above anybody's opinions or what they think about helping people. 
Every word. We believe in the, uh, help me out theologians, plenary, plenary, verbal plenary inspiration of scripture. Every single word was given by God. He put every word in there for a reason. Every word of God proves true. Because he is true. Let me give you an illustration. I am so glad that God is not tricking us. If he's powerful, if he's the creator, I used to sit around uh, in my neighborhood with kids, I don't know, maybe this was the beginning of uh, being a, a little theologian, and we'd say, I think we were eight or nine, and we'd say, what if we're in a dream right now? What if this isn't really real? And I don't know where we got these thoughts from, some crazy show or something. Yeah, what if we're really not here? What if God's like tricking us? And you start getting in these crazy thoughts, and you go, wait a minute. If he's a good God, and he's a true God, then he can't trick us, and he's not trying to trick us. I mean, that's basically what the world believes. That's Satan's first lie in the garden. Did God really say? Did he say it? Is he true? And you know what? Does he really care? You know, he knows that if you do the opposite of what, oh, so he's tricking me? He's, he's, there's something he's holding from me? But no, the scriptures, God is always true. He has to be true. It's part of his character. So I'm so glad that God's not tricking us. And if you think you're in a dream, somebody pinch you, and you'll say, why did that hurt? <laughs> I must not be in a dream. Thank God that he is a God of all grace, and he is true. Number two, how we fail in showing God's grace and truth. Let's just try to define grace uh, real quick here. Unmerited kindness and help towards undeserving sinners. I believe that's uh, Randy Elkhorn. Maybe you heard of him. He wrote the book Heaven, which is really popular. I also have Garrett Higby up here. This is his uh, illustration. And Brad Brandt, I found him on the internet. He had a great article on grace and truth. I'm using some of that here. But this definition of grace, unmerited kindness and help towards undeserving sinners. A definition for truth. The God-pleasing standard to what is right and good. The God-pleasing standard to what is right and good. So here we have grace and truth. And we want to put them in balance. The truth, we are called to be like Christ our master, full of grace and truth. That is true. And here's the grace. He has given us all we need to obey him and walk in fullness of grace and fullness of truth like him. Grace is not an excuse to sin. Look how grace and truth work together. They can't even exist without each other. Grace is not an excuse to sin, but an enablement to obey. So grace is helping you obey. It's not giving you an excuse to say, oh, I'm saved by grace so I can go live the way I want. It's actually the opposite. They work together. Now help me out with this one. For those of you who have heard uh, different things on grace and truth. Grace without truth leads to what? License. What's that? License? Yes. License to sin. Very good. How about this? Breeds deception because it goes against the truth. If you have grace without truth, it's actually going against truth. It's also moral compromise. Look what we have in America now. Due to total tolerance, 
evil has ran rampant because you can't say something is good or bad. You can't speak truth. Just speak grace. Well, grace without truth isn't grace. That's the point. Uh, let's, uh, I believe, I, yeah, let's turn to 1 Samuel because I love turning to the Old Testament. I don't do that enough. 1 Samuel 2.29. You know the story of Eli, the priest, and his sons? As I was looking this over, I thought, whoa, uh, Eli did a little bit more than I thought he did. He actually did confront his sons. He confronted them with truth, but he didn't give any consequences. Actually, he didn't give any action to the truth that he said. Let's just look up verse 29 because God actually makes a statement. Brother Marty, yeah. Can I interrupt you just a minute? Go ahead. Would you redefine truth for us? I, I didn't get that written down. Truth? The God-pleasing standard to what is right and good. Yeah, stop me, please. If I'm going too fast, I'm just... Uh, I always think we got a lot of time before you know it. The time's up and I'm halfway through my outline. <laughs> Truth. The God-pleasing standard to what is right and good. You got it. Okay, so grace without truth leads to license to sin. Listen to what God says about Eli. Pretty heavy. And I love it because you, you're, you're, uh, in my imbalance of grace and truth, you look at Eli and say, oh, he wasn't so bad. I mean, come on, what did his kids do? I mean, he told them the truth over here. Actually, in the first part, uh, verse 23, and he said to them, why do you do these things? They're sleeping with women. They're stealing the sacrifices. They're taking the better part of the sacrifice. For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. In verse 24. This is 1 Samuel 2, 24. No, my sons, it is no good. Report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. So now we've got to look at, you know, what's the motives, Eli? And only God knows his motives. I mean, it sounds like he's telling the truth, but is he more concerned about the reputation and his reputation? Or is he really confronting him? Well, listen to what God, God puts it in a nutshell in verse 29. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourself on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Whoa. So God uh, tells them right out, you are putting your sons above me. God tells the truth. Eli told the truth in verse 24, but he put no action behind it. No truth leads to no grace. Grace would have had said, I have to do something about you guys. You don't need to be uh, my helpers, the priests anymore. You're out of here. Grace and truth discipline together. When I think of my children and it's time to get, I hate spanking them. The old saying, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. We laugh about that. But yeah, I just do not like it. But I know they need to be explained what they've done wrong and they need consequences and uh, they need to uh, see that what they're doing is serious. So what am I doing? I am having grace. I'm having grace. I know the truth. What they're doing is wrong. But grace says, man, if I don't correct them down the road, they're going to be rebellious against authority and ultimately against God. So it's grace that's saying, I'm going to do action here. I already know the truth, but grace is driving me to do the action. Now uh, his sons of course are destroyed. Now they're gone. Was that graceful that he didn't pull them out? Now they're dead. 
He couldn't get rid of their job, but he can get rid of their life. I've been dealing lately uh, with uh, mostly moms at our church because some of the men aren't rising up uh, to be the men that they should be, leaders in the home. But there's been a few moms, one from our church and one away, who have come up to me and said, my kid is, is on the road to being a kidult. You've heard of kidults. They want to play video games in the basement even though they're 25 and they're still working at the coffee house and they don't have any job in sight or any way to take care of a family in the future. That's a kidult. And this ma came up to me and she said, what am I going to do? I mean, this lady's sharp because he's still like 21 and he's working a job, but she said, uh, they talked and talked and she said, son, uh, and the dad's really not backing her. I mean, he's not telling her no, but I think the dad is full of mushy grace. He doesn't have much truth. And uh, she said, I gave him a month to decide whether he's going to go to school and we're going to help him, or to go towards a career that's serious instead of working a, you know, a job that's going to go nowhere. And he says, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. A month came, nothing. And this was probably the second or third time she made this thing. So she came to me and she said, please pray for me because I'm going to tell him he's got one more month and he's got to go. I'm going to ask him to leave. What do you think of that? And I said, sis, from all I know that you've told me, I, I would do the exact same thing to my son. Now let's be graceful. And it sounds like she has been, but make sure he knows if he's going to leave, you know, how do you do a budget? Actually, I'm mixing two stories now because this other mother, the same thing, except her son was actually on drugs. He went to the rehab, came back, got off him. And then she was like, this guy's 26, still in the home, still promising he's going to get a job, still promising he's going to stop drugs. And it's so hard. And especially for a mom, dads, I think, are tougher. But she's like, I just got to tell him, you're out of here. You're out of my house because you're never going to grow up and you're going to be sitting there at 32 years old with no job and no wife and playing your video games. It sounds crude, guys, but this is like America right now. So uh, I think the first mother, she did it gracefully. And she said, you got to go. you got to go. And the kid began to wake up. Things are changing. He's waking up. It's like, wow. It's like I did at college. Did you guys do this? How come I opened my dresser drawer and all the underwear were gone? They weren't washed and folded. And I opened the next drawer. There's no shirts here. Where are they all? All my dresser at home always had everything folded and clean. You start to wake up. So these mothers, I believe, are doing the truthful thing. And they're doing it because they care about them. And they love them. So grace without truth leads to license to sin, moral compromise. It really leads to destruction. It's hard to do the truth, but it's graceful to do the truth. Truth without grace, help me out you guys, leads to what? Now we're on truth without grace. Because remember, let me reiterate. Jesus was full of grace and truth. He wasn't more truthful than he was graceful. He was 100% graceful and 100% truthful. And he always walked in perfect balance. Garrett Higby's uh, little illustration, I didn't make my guys as good as he did, but they're supposed to be falling off the edges. Christ-centered balance is right in the middle. Always graceful, always truthful. The other two sides are extremes and they're heretical. They're wrong. They do more damage than good. And that's what we're looking at now. So, truth without grace leads to? Any guesses? Legalism. Very good. What else? 
death, of course, because both of these lead to death. I guess those guys are probably falling down to death. I don't know exactly what they're doing there. Or someone they're counseling is falling down to death. Self-righteous legalism. Truth without grace leads to self-righteous legalism. Grace is needed lest the truth crush us into nothing. Think about your own life. Man, when I start thinking about my sin, I am overcome. And then I look to the cross, and I am filled with hope. And I go, yes, he didn't overlook my sin. He paid for it. But I don't have to meditate on my wickedness knowing it's paid for. That is truth without grace crushes us into nothing. Let's, uh, actually, was I going to read this one? Uh, Matthew 12, 9 to 14. You guys know the story. A man healed on the Sabbath with a withered hand. Jesus basically says, Oh, I understand the truth of not working on the Sabbath. And it's, uh, it's, it's true. But your definition of work is wrong here because this is a human being. And you guys will pull a donkey out of a hole if it falls in on a Saturday, won't you? Because you know it will be dead by Sunday. And nobody says it's wrong. So how can we not heal this crippled man? Very graceful. The, the, the Pharisees are making this crippled man feel worthless, less than a donkey. No, don't, don't heal him today. It's the Sabbath. Jesus comes with grace and he heals him. It's true and lawful to pull a donkey out. How can it not be true and lawful to help out this crippled man? Truth without grace is so one-sided, it's really not our God at all. This is the key I want you to get in this whole teaching. Let me say it again. Truth without grace is so one-sided, it's really not our God at all. That's the problem. And this is when we're in the flesh, really. When we're siding with all truth or all grace, or we're imbalanced, it's because we're not walking in the Spirit. Jesus is full of grace, so all truth must have grace in it. You hear that? Because he's full of all grace, he is full of grace, so all truth must have grace in it. In order to live out God's truth, we need his enabling grace and forgiveness and kindness when we fail. Because it's true, we're going to fail. But it's also true, he will forgive us and enable us not to fall. So we need the balance, which, another key point, only a spirit-filled life can give us. I don't know how to drive this point home enough, but I know when I'm siding with one of these, I am in the flesh. I really am. I'm, my emotions are taken over, let me give you two examples. I got uh, five kids. My littlest one is Gloria Hope. Cute as a button. Fiery as a pistol. There's a little princess on the TV called Princess Pestle, uh, Pedestal or something. And I just say, you mean Princess Pistol? Because that's who you are. She's a pistol. But I got another fella, Caleb. He reminds me of me. His middle name's Martin, named after me. And he is one tough cookie. I mean, he is a business. And my brother says he's just like I was when I was little. And when he gets in trouble, it is so easy to come down on the truth with him. 
I'm just like, you did this and it's coming down. Now, when little Glory gets in trouble, even though she's a pistol, she's so cute and she hugs her daddy and kisses him, says, you're a cookie, I'm going to eat you, daddy. It is so easy to come down on grace with her and just, oh, honey, I know. But she did the same thing Caleb did. Why is she getting all the grace? My emotions are moved. I know Caleb's a tough, uh, stubborn guy like his old man, so therefore he's going to get hammered with the truth. And God continually convicts me, Marty, give Caleb more grace. Balance this out. Give Gloria more truth. She needs to be taken to the witch yet. <laughs> and uh, so we, we need the balance that only a spirit-filled life, and I know, I, I, I actually sense the spirit in my life when I'm like, I'm coming down on Caleb. I can't believe he didn't share that cookie that I gave him. And I walk up the steps and the spirit starts to convict me. And it's like, all right, how do you approach him, Marty? With kind words, with gentleness. You're still going to tell him the truth. He's still going to hear the truth, but you're going to approach him with love. And I sense the conviction of God, and I have to reorient my mind. It's like, yes, walk in the Spirit, resist the flesh, because I want to bring truth down. Same with Gloria. Oh, I just want to overlook it. She's so cute. She loves me so much. She wants to be with Daddy. And I come home on my motorcycle. She just wants a little ride every day. And, Daddy! Oh, man, girls are so cute. But, all right, Mike, you're walking in the flesh right now. She needs truth. She needs you to get off the couch and say, come on, go up in the, in the, go to the laundry room, go wherever I ask you to go because you're, you're, out, you're off the hook and I need to have God's Spirit to bring you the truth. I believe it is when we're walking in the fullness of Christ we can alone have full grace and full truth. I'm in the flesh. In the flesh we are either more grace or more truth. Someone has said, the balance, this is kind of a joke, but I, I feel this all the time, the balance of having uh, grace and truth is that brief experience you have when you cross from one extreme to the other. Just that brief, you know, woo, hey, I got mellow, woo, and I'm back over on truth. I don't think God wants it that way. I think you can walk solidly in grace and truth, but here's the balance when I'm swinging from one extreme to the other. That's how I feel. I know that's the way, not the way God wants it. We find it easier, see, uh, next page, we find it easier to side with one than to have both in balance. A great, uh, great story, and there's, they're, they're loaded, I got a whole list of them, I wish I would have copied it, but you guys know them. Just look at every time Jesus interacts with somebody, he's got grace and truth. And if it looks like he's imbalanced when he's talking to the Pharisees, because he's just hammering them, and it's like, whoa, where's the grace here? It's because he already knows their hearts. And, and it's graceful for him to get in their face and tell them the truth. Sometimes this happens in counseling. My pastor taught me this. He's like, I've been going over and over with this man. Sometimes I just look at the guy and go, what is wrong with you? That's not, you know, normal counseling. But it's like, you've been given so much truth here and you're not hearing me. You guys can relate. Does anybody do that? Yeah, stop it. I know, I know the video. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Uh, but... That's Jesus. Look at Jesus. Stop it! You whitewashed snakes, vipers. Whoa, Jesus. How about in the temple with the whip? Whoosh, whoa, where's the grace here? The grace is that this temple is used for God and you're using it wrongly and you are damning people and you are damned. So this is a time to bring out the truth. And it's full of grace. It's never either or. 
So here we have in John 8, 1 to 11, the woman caught in adultery. Because we, are, we too are full of false grace and truth without Christ. But think of the story. They catch the woman. The Pharisees bring them before Jesus. Uh, in John 8, one of, our, uh, one of my favorite stories. And Jesus never denied the truth. It says in the law of Moses that she should be stoned. I ain't saying it doesn't say that. In fact, do it. But before you do it, let me give you a little more truth. Whoever doesn't have sin, throw the first stone. Wow. Is that grace and truth like in your face? Oh, you're right, she's an, she's an adulteress. And you're right, she should be stoned. But let me add a little more truth, which as I add this truth, it's going to give her grace. Because I agree, she, needs, she, she deserves to be stoned. But here's the grace, and here's the truth. If you don't have any sin, throw a stone. Then in verse 11, I love it, everybody always leaves out verse 11. You guys know what it is. Go and sin no more. Sin no more. I'm not saying don't stone you because you deserve to live. In fact, I was the one who could have picked up a stone. Because I have no sin. So, here's my grace and here's the truth. Go and sin no more. Jesus gave a supernatural answer. They, had, they thought they had him. They sat around and studied. How are we going to get this guy? And he gave a supernatural answer. And don't we, in our own lives and in helping others, don't we need a supernatural life? I need a supernatural life. I need the Word of God. I need the Spirit of God when I'm helping people, when I'm helping my family, when I'm looking at my own heart. And I need that balance of grace and truth. And it's supernatural. And I believe, just like Jesus had the perfect answer where this lady could walk away without death and him not breaking the Roman rule of, of, of killing uh, uh, someone without the Romans there. And yet, not letting her off the hook. Don't do this anymore. I don't care if it's been your, your trade from three generations. I don't care if you've been doing this all your life. You're going to stop now. And what do you think would have gave her power to want to stop? He told her not to stop. That's true. What gave her power to want to not sin anymore? Grace. Thank you. That guy, man, he, he looked past my sin. And he saw me as a person. That's what I want to do in counseling. I want them to sense God's power and grace all the time while I'm ministering the truth of God. Jesus gave a supernatural answer and we need a supernatural life to have this in balance, the Christ-centered balance, and as well when we're trying to help people. So, here we go. Little conviction here. If you're a grace guy, think about it. Want to raise hands? Let's raise them. I'm a, uh, or a truth guy. I'm a truth guy. I really am. Any, any truth guys? Raise your hand. Okay, hopefully it's not all girls that are grace. All right, good. Grace, grace guys, who's more graceful? Thank you. Don't be embarrassed. Thank you. Oh, we got too many truth people there. Man. <laughs> well, here's the reality. And I, we probably uh, vacillate, but it's good to know your tendency which side you're, you're falling down because it's, it's fleshly, so it's good to keep on guard. If you're a grace guy or a truth guy, you're not a Jesus guy. 
So remember that. There's no such thing as I'm more grace than truth. And I've swung because people tell me, man, dude, you're just hammering me. You're just bringing it down. You're giving me no hope. And I have grown. I have grown. I have time for a... I will break down if I tell you that one. But uh, I have sinned brutally with truth. Mr. Self-Righteous Legalist. I ain't been walking with Jesus for 32 years. I ain't never slept around like you. You led me to Jesus. What's wrong with you? I ain't going like you. Wow, that was so helpful. (laughs) That's me, though. That's a true story. And where's the grace? I mean, they already know they failed. They already know they sinned, so I've, uh, you know, swung and I've been over here. You know what I heard somebody once say? Which, after this teaching, you blow that out of the water. Sounds so spiritual. If I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of grace. (laughs) Not after, not when you look at the life of Jesus. He's not erring on no side of grace. There is no side of grace without truth. And, uh, it sounds spiritual, doesn't it? Sounds, you know what it really sounds like? Let me throw, throw them under the bus. It sounds like the emergent church. Love wins. Love wins? How about the cross wins? How about the blood of Christ? How about without Him getting slammed in your place? Nobody wins. How about what you had coming, Jesus took. And we're going to get to that. So, Yes, I have uh, swung, and I know that being a Jesus guy, we feel this fleshly pull. I wrote here, how many feel this fleshly pull? I do either side so easy on my own. (laughs) So you stay close to Christ. Stay close to who Jesus is, and you'll walk in grace and truth. Because it's so easy to slide to one side or the other. I'm going to try to get practical here. I probably have that down in the family part down at the end here. But... I've noticed uh, the hardest way is the the Christ-centered way. It's impossible. I cannot do it unless Christ is filling me and I'm yielding to him. I can't do it. I I think of calling people. I learned this through the years. You've got to learn something if you've been with Jesus for three decades. You've got to know something. And I've learned to pray before I pick up the phone on almost any call. And say, Lord, uh, what was I going to say? I was going to talk about that and that. And How am I going to be graceful and truthful? Yeah, because here's what I wanted to say. What did you want to say, Marty? I wanted to say this. Well, let's look at that. Boy, that's full of truth and no grace, and you're going to slam them again, aren't you? Yeah, I guess I was. Okay, well then, I'll just say this. Okay, Marty, you're, you're not dealing with the truth. You said nothing about the truth. You're just being a nice guy. Yeah, you're right, you're right. But I don't want to do the one in the middle. That humbles me. That, that makes, brings me down. And I have to let Christ run my life. Hello. It's called walking in the Spirit. It's called dying to yourself. It's called picking up a cross. That is practical life. It's like, I know. And then with my kids, every single day, it's like, are you walking in the Spirit? Because that's when you're going to be able to tell your children how to interact with each other. I don't want to help him. Okay, Brenda, come here. You don't want to help him. I understand you don't want to help him. That's truth. You want to do your own homework and you don't want to help your brother with his homework. But how, how would Jesus say that? How, you know, let's say Jesus was busy uh, feeding 5,000, doing what he does. How would he say that? And she almost automatically knows. 
I really don't want to help you right now, Caleb, but I can help you in another hour. I really can't help you today, Caleb, but if I hurry up with my work, I'll be able to help you with yours. Wow. Whoa, it's coming alive in my house. I'm seeing this grace and truth. Either side just is not working. And we find it easy to side with one than to have both imbalanced. Christ was full of grace and truth perfectly. In John 1, 14, 18, we saw twice it says he was full of grace and truth. Verse 14 and verse 17. And here is the crux of it all, the cross of it all. The cross shows this truth at its best. I think I've been growing in my biblical counseling. And I know not everybody uh, buys into this, but gospel-centered counseling Everything seems to go right back to the gospel. And I'm not talking about evangelism here. I'm talking about talking to Christians. Looking at my own life. So why again would I overlook my wife's sin that she's done again? And why again would I give up what I want so that I can serve my family? Oh, let's look to the cross. Oh yeah, he gave up everything. So I think I can give up my fishing to go egg hunting or whatever they want to do that I wanted to do. It goes right back to the cross. And the Bible is, is laden with preaching the gospel to yourself, having the gospel in the center as you're counseling Christians. Where's Christ at in this? Where's the cross? Because the cross shows this truth at its best. Let's go to Romans 3, 23 to 26, and you'll see what I mean. Romans 3. You know Romans 3.23. A lot of truth there. In fact, if you just left that verse, <laughs> 23, you would be damned, right? Romans 3.23, but we're going to read uh, 26, three verses. I read out of the ESV. Romans 3.23 to 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified. Whoa, wait a minute. We fell, we sinned, but no. Now we are justified by His grace as a gift. Through, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. A peace offering, a sacrifice. By His blood. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, the, be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You talk about a passage that's just jumping. Every other verse, every other word is grace, truth, grace, truth. You were damned going to hell. I saw your situation. You're not going to make it. I'm going to die for you. Someone has to pay for the sin. God's not going to overlook it. I'll pay for the sin. And back and forth, but he never gets rid of the truth. He didn't overlook your sin. He put it on Jesus and poured out his wrath on Jesus to equal your sin before a holy God. That is one heavy thought. I can't grasp that thought. That might be one of those attributes we're going to be meditating on for all eternity. Let me see those hands again. Wow. Let me meditate on that for another 10 billion. I'll be back to look at it again. 
The cross shows this truth at its best. Full of God's holiness, our sin, and God's sacrifice to pay our debt. Verse 25, he passed over, but not without a heavy payment. See, I'm a truth, grace and truth. You can't get rid of one and, and have the other. Here's the truth, you're forgiven. Or here's the grace, you're forgiven. Here's the truth, somebody paid for it. Uh, to grace and truth. At the cross, the climax of history, we see grace and truth at their finest. Both perfectly seen. God pouring out His wrath on His Son so that sinners can be saved. That is some heavy truth. So the cross, and, 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 and I, this is a whole message of course in itself, the cross shows the grace and truth at its best. The truth of grace and truth at its best. Romans 3, 23-26. And again, thinking of your own heart and, and helping others, it always goes back to the cross. That's like the trump card for me. You know, you're talking and you're, and you're, you're helping people and then it's just like, so why are you going to love this person that committed adultery on you? Because of the cross. Because you sinned against God more than anybody could ever sin against you. B, we are called to be like Christ in grace and truth. Listen to Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt. I love those definitive words in the Bible, always. Boy, that'll stop you before you go to talk to somebody when you're mad or you're in the flesh. Is this going to be gracious? I mean, I know it's got truth in it, but is it going to be gracious? Because he said, let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Whew! So he's telling us, you are called to be like Jesus. He knows exactly how to answer, and because he's full of grace, he knows how he ought to answer. And here's uh, Ephesians 4.15. This one, uh, everybody knows this one. Rather, speak the truth in love so that you can grow up in Christ. So speak the truth, but do it with love. Do it with grace. Those words overlap. We're called to be Christ-like in grace and truth in our personal lives. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. And you guys know this isn't just saved once and for all. It's I'm continually being saved because I'm looking more like Christ. Yes, I'm seated with God and I'm saved. But down here on the earth I'm being saved every day because I'm looking more like Jesus Christ. For, and that's by grace. It's continual. I got saved by grace. I will continue in grace. I will be changed by grace. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Christ is God's revelation of grace. And we believe and continue to believe and therefore salvation is seen. We have grace and truth in our life, so we continue to grow. I love saying this. I remember when I first heard the gospel, I was so mad. 
I told my brothers, don't tell me this. I know it's true and I don't want to be accountable to it. You guys get me mad. I don't like hearing about my sin. Do you know that it's the same way today? I am a believer, but it's the same way when someone goes to tell me my sin. It's the same reaction I have. It's like getting saved again. You know, people say, I feel like I'm getting saved again. Well, yeah, because you're repenting again. And you're growing. So it's in your personal life. Psalm 51.6, Behold, your delight, you delight in truth in the inward being. Trying to show you Titus 2.11 for grace in your life in Psalms 51.6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, showing truth in our life. God wants our lives to have truth starting inside. This is how we glorify God and become effective when in our own hearts we walk in grace and truth. Here, think of this. It's in your own. First you start with your own life. Man, I'm not what I should be. That is true. But I'm not what I was. Boy, that is grace. And I'm not what I will be. That's truth and grace. God is still working in me. I'm not what I should be. That's true, God. That keeps me humble. But boy, I'm not what I was, man. I am way more like Jesus than I used to be. And I'm not what I will be. That is grace and truth when you think that way. If you get off balance, we know people that are just, oh, grace, grace, grace. Like, dude, man, you're walking around, you're slamming people, you're stealing, you're a liar, you're lazy, you're, and you just, oh, yeah, God loves me the way I am. And then you got the other people. Oh, I'm so evil. God can never use me. Look at me. No, I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I was. And I'm not what I will be. This is how we glorify God and become effective when in our hearts we walk in grace and truth. So before we're going to help our family and help others in our own heart, we're walking in grace and truth. In our family and church lives, I love this, my house is full of repentance and forgiveness all day long. And of course, what brings repentance? Truth. Why do you repent? Because I have grace. Why do we forgive? Because there's grace. Repentance, forgiveness in our home all day long. Dad should be the first one. Guys, I'm sorry. Slammed, uh, uh, my kid wanted to jump in the back of the van, you know, because they like going down in a little hole and shut the door on me, you know, we're going down the street. And I'm like, oh, I don't like when he does that. And I'm in a hurry. And he jumps in the van and I go to shut it. And it wasn't that bad. It's the big cushy thing. And it, he barely got his fingers caught in there. Ah, yeah, he's screaming. I'm like, I didn't even want him back there. And I open up the thing and I, get out of there, get out of there, get it back. And Ma came out. You know, she was getting the car. What's going on? I was like, it's all right, it's all right, just get in the car. And we take off, and I was like, justifying, yeah, he should have been. And, man, the next, it was, it was, I believe it was as I was studying this message or hearing somebody, I says, man, my family is full of repentance and forgiveness and truth. So I got to go back to him the next day and tell him in front of his brothers, because they all saw it happen, Caleb, please forgive me. That's my Caleb, remember? I always come down on the truth side of him. I said, Caleb, forgive me. I was mad because I didn't really want you riding in the back, but I didn't take time to tell you that. And then I slammed the thing on your hand, and I was so mad that the door hit your hand that I started taking it out on you. Would you please forgive me? Yeah, Dad. And I can see the other ones looking. That's what's in our house. And actually, I don't, it wasn't that surprising to them because it happens, praise God, a lot in my home. But sometimes it doesn't happen. 
many times, and I wanted to. I wanted my house, my family. Listen to thir- th- 3 John 4. 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And this can be your children in the church, the kids that you've taken on as you know, your disciples, as well as your own children. No greater joy that you guys walk in the truth. This is both for our family and the church. I have kids at home, I have kids at the church that I treat as my kids. I have a testimony. You guys will relate to this. My brother's daughter went to Christian schools all her life, had a Christian mom and dad, rebelled against the Lord. She just recently repented. And you know, when you grow up in a Christian home, yeah, I'm saved, I prayed the prayer, I did that, I go to Christian school, I'm in Bible studies. But boy, she just got radically saved recently. 21 years old, just got baptized, second baptism, because she says, I wasn't saved the first time. But you know what? She saw people live out the gospel for 21 years in front of her. She heard the gospel at school and at church. And it's, it's finally, if you will, paying off. The light went off. You know? And I think she saw grace. She'd always come to see my wife. She saw a lot of grace in my wife, who told her the truth about her, but always loved her. I've got another nephew who's a homosexual, who just repented of his sin. Wrote on Facebook, I'm not doing this no more. Listen to this line. His straight friends got mad at him for becoming a Christian. He says, how come you accepted me when I said I was gay, but you won't accept me now that I want to follow God? (laughs) But you know what? Here's the grace and truth. Man, I hate it. He's the only homosexual I know of in our family. And I just hated that when he went to that. And of course, God worked on me. Marty, all sins are equal. You know, what are you going to do with your uh, niece that sleeps with her boyfriend? When she comes over, you love her. Why aren't you going to love this guy? He's sleeping with another guy. you got to love him. Yes, I know God. So we always loved him. I changed the guy's diaper. He was my youngest sister's son. And he was like my little boy when, for a few years when I was at home. And I just always loved him. But always told him the truth. I gave him this crazy chick track. Anybody remember those crazy chick tracks? I still give them out because people can't stop reading them. And it was about homosexuals. And it was pretty brutal. It was telling him, you're, this, you're without Christ, you're going to hell. And I was like, he, he has AIDS. And I thought, he might die. And I'm going to give him the gospel one more time. I gave him this thing. You know what he said? Larry, when you gave me that thing, I was so mad at you. But I knew it was true. And I gave it to him out of grace. I love you. You're going to hell. I care about your soul. Point. Grace and truth in the family all the time. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. Okay, so before I get in this face about homosexuality, probably, I'm probably not going to get in this face about homosexuality. I'm just going to love him, ask him if he wants a coffee, if he wants some of his aunt's pastries, because I love him, I care for him, he's welcome in my home every time, but I hate your sin. I love you, but I hate your sin. I do believe that's biblical. So at home, speak only that which builds up. Colossians 1, 6. It's supernatural. Only that which builds up. And we'll end here. I know we're running out of time. In our evangelism and discipleship, Luke 4, 22. Talking about Jesus in his hometown. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. But they still rejected him. <laughs> This is Nazareth, remember? The prophet's not welcome in his own home. But they couldn't deny, man, his words are so gracious. They weren't very gracious. You know what they said about him? Ain't this Joseph's son? He's nobody special. 
I mean, I know he's talking powerful and he's got gracious words, but this is Joseph's son, okay? Remember, he grew up here. He's, nobody, he's no big deal. We don't have to listen to what he's saying. Colossians 16, 5 to 6. I won't read it, but it talks about the gospel truth continues to change you and make fruit and grow you. And why? By grace and truth. The gospel truth, which is the, uh, the climax of grace and truth, continues to change you. So in counseling, I cry out in prayer, Lord, help me speak the truth gracefully, filled with grace and hope so that this person can change. Because, you know, I heard, I read his report, his PDI report, and I really uh, want to hammer this guy for being such a, a, a numbskull all his life. But I'm a numbskull. You've forgiven me. So let me show the same grace when this person walks in. We're not going to deny the truth. But we're going to be full of grace and truth. We still got four minutes. Um, yes, one, six, five, and six. Yeah, one, six, one, five, and six. Oh, uh, yeah. There's no, I don't. There's no Colossians sixteen, of course, but Colossians one, six, and Colossians. I always, when I write these, I many times I get it wrong. Sorry. Yeah, but Colossians 1, uh, 5, and 6. Anything come to you guys' mind? we got a few minutes here. 1, 5, and 6. Yes, correct. Yes? Where do you find yourself starting these plays when, you, when you're approaching somebody? Do you find yourself making a great statement or a true statement? I'm sure it but do you have one that you favor? Well, uh, when you look at Jesus, it's look at... Now that you've got this in your mind, when you read him, I don't know if he ever makes a statement that doesn't have both. Really. I mean, I'm going to go look, because I'm thinking about when he was really truthful. Uh, I mean, look at the woman at the well. He's, it's both grace and truth the whole time. I mean, which one comes first? Probably either or. But all the time, they're going to hear both. But thinking about Jesus with the Pharisees, I bet you if we read that, we'd see some grace in there. You stiff necks, if you knew the truth, Whoa. You too could be free. Whoa, there's grace. You stiff-necked vipers. If you would hear the truth, you too could be free. But you don't want to hear the truth. So I think it's uh, there all the time. And it, it, which one would come first, like in one sentence? It depends on the situation. Uh, I think I can relate this to giving the daughter about the homework. Yeah. Or not. No, that was real. <laughs> Yes. We don't really make a statement or a Very good. Statement Very good. That's actually one of my weaknesses. I start making truth statements without hearing the whole thing. But I, my wife is good at this, and I've been trained in this. Okay, uh, Brenda, why, why can't you help with this homework? Like that? Well, because sometimes she'll stop. I don't have a good reason. I just want to do what I want to do. Yes. Excellent. Good, brother. Come on, guys. we got time. Say something. I don't have this down, let me tell you. I am struggling this. I know this, though, when I know that there is, uh, when you have to be filled with the Spirit to be uh, Christ-centered and balanced, that's what I want. I thought it was okay to be the truth guy or the grace guy. Now I know better. 
And I hope you got that message. I know that um, I'm better at the grace part because I'm afraid to confront. I'm afraid mm-hmm. what they're going to say back to me. And right, I'm right. Not going to like it. They're going to be mad at me. And right. Not gonna, and what was not going to come over anymore? You know, because it's going to be mad at me. Right. And we'll have this conversation. So funny. You know, uh, when we have like when my kids were younger, it easier for me to be more you know true because I was freshly saved and a little bit more black and white. Right. Right. And now that we've got a blended family, I find the kids always coming over, and none of them are walking in the Lord. And I'll I'll probably spend more time trying to relate to or be softer with them. And then afterward, my kid will always say, you know, we have the opportunity to be a little harder. You know, didn't you think we had a good opportunity yeah, I good, good. I right. Oh, I, I do that all the time. Let's help Kay, guys. What she, this is good. This is helping us. Her daughter, daughter or son, they come over and she's like, I'm going to end up going on the, on the too much grace side. And I know I need to speak truth. What would embolden her to speak more truth? Simple answer? Well, of course prayer, but thinking grace. Thinking a grace, a real grace thought, because a real grace thought isn't don't speak the truth. A real grace thought is if they don't know Christ, they're damned. And I have to speak the truth. And I know they're not going to like me. And I know that they might not come around anymore. But I care about them so much. And I have so much grace for them that I am emboldened to say the truth. See how that works? Yeah, and I was just thinking about the principle of love. Love casts out fear. Yes. So love, Amen. Uh, Excellent. Excellent. And, and Matthias said pray. Because prayer will give me, let me see, God, how this is really, because I'm seeing it wrong. Let me see it like you see it. Let me really love them. Not because they'll love me and I'll feel good, but because this is the truth. They need to hear it. I, I had an 86-year-old uncle who was very new age. And, um, he had a, uh, uh, a tragedy in our, in our family. And uh, I was talking about um, God's will, and um, one of our family members tried to commit suicide next door. And I looked at that as God keeping them alive so that he had a chance to hear the gospel and receive it finally. And um, my uncle, you know, wanted to know how I can can, uh, think that it's God's will that this person still lives. Um, when his desire was to die. And um, I kind of boiled it down to basically my, I get my thinking from the Bible and I go by what I, I study God's word and that's where I get my truth. And I, I put in there, and this seems like very arrogant to him, he told me it was very arrogant, it is that I don't get my truth from what other um, I don't... Uh, other humans? Right. I don't get my truth from all these other writers. I try to go to the Bible. Yeah. And so he took that as I'm so arrogant. Yeah. And how can I think that way yeah. when, of course, you take your truth from what other people write? And he just blasted me. <laughs> right, right. And so I felt like, yeah, you know, it just probably sounds arrogant. Uh-huh. But um, I haven't responded to that you know what I think? What? Biblically, it's arrogant to think you're going to get truth from anybody but the God that made you. 
very, I think the opposite is arrogant. Why would you go to anybody but God? That's the arrogant. You're pushing God out and you're going to listen to other creation? Sorry. It's a, 